Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And daughter, do death. Hello, Phoebe. How are you? Hi, Dad. I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. We've had quite an adventure this evening trying to uh, get this to record. Quite a lot of technical difficulties to get us to this point. Apologies if the sound isn't as good as it usually is. Yes, we're having to research some other ways of recording because our usual method doesn't seem to want to cooperate with us right now. So, um, For like no reason, it's just like stopped working. Stopped working. working. Anyway, episode 66. Episode 66, maybe it's because it's 66, maybe that's why we're having these issues. It could be, yeah. Uh, very strange. So, yes, episode 66 of Dad and Daughter Do Death, and talking of death, I noticed that they released the Queen's death certificate. Yes, and they said that she died of old age. I mean, she was old, so, yeah. Apparently they can put that if someone's been treated for quite a long time. Okay. And and it's That's a known sort of degeneration of some sort. Yeah. Rather than it being a sudden, unexplained incident. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So maybe there was something going on for a while that obviously nobody knew about. Yeah. Because it's private to the Queen and the royal family. So, yeah, without being specific, I can just say, yeah, it's a general slow old age process. Fair enough. 96. I don't yeah. think that's bad at all. No. With all of the kind of emails from people that came out after she died saying, you know, well, we're remembering the Queen and sorry for the Queen and, you know, those sorts of, I said, I got a lot of those emails. I don't know if you did. The most random one I got, possibly the most distasteful one, was from the people that we went to that post-mortem live thing last year. <laughs> yes. I think it was the, the day after, a couple of days after, talking about basically what happens when you get old and how you die when you get old, basically. Um, and that we're remembering our queen. Yeah, it was literally all linked together. <laughs> I did pay my respects to the queen by standing in the queue for 12 hours. On Impressive. Friday the 16th of uh, September, and I'm very glad that I did that. That's it good. It was um, a very rewarding day in a number of ways. That's good. It's, it was 12 um, hours well spent. That's good. Yeah. I wouldn't mind going to see her in Windsor. And how are they buried? And how deep are these you coffins? Know, are they like on a shelf? Are they just like stacked on top of each other? Are they I don't know. in, like, what happened in. The ground there. Where'd yeah, they go I'd, when they're I'd in really the like ground to know. there? Yeah. yeah. Is it like a vault or is it actually in the ground? Yeah. Is it like a room? Was it? Mm. Yeah. I don't know. There's something that sits really funny with me about being in a box in a room forever. Yeah. Like. Seems a bit un. Unfinished. Like. Yeah. Just a bit it's clinical. a bit temporary almost. Yeah. I mean, it could be decades, it could be centuries, but it's still yeah. not forever if you're in a room. Yeah, so. yeah. Like there's something about kind of going back into the ground, isn't there? Mm-hmm. About being buried and being put back in the ground. But they're like in this like kind of clean, sterile, lovely stone room, room. <laughs> which just seems a bit weird. That there's like essentially rotting bodies in this in a room in a castle. But instead of spending twelve hours standing in a queue, I have been watching. Dharma on Netflix, which oh, yeah. is one of the highest watched things on Netflix ever. 
I saw, yes, in fact, it might be the top watch thing on Netflix ever. And I mean, it's fantastic. It's Ryan Murphy. We all know that he does an exceptional <laughs> job of whatever he oh, puts yeah. his hand to. I can't believe Ryan Murphy manages to churn out so much stuff. Yeah. And, and it's, it's all, all great. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's a very clever man. Very I think clever. one of the things I like about him is that he doesn't shy away from like gory and gruesome and he he goes there he goes there doesn't he? he always he doesn't kind of there's no cutting away of cameras and sometimes it could be a bit too gratuitous but i like that but yeah great if you've not watched it would recommend just pace yourself with it because it's a bit okay it's it's a lot so sort of following on with the theme really of noble women called elizabeth Tonight, <laughs> I am going to be talking to you about Elizabeth Battery. Okay. About Bathory, but I think you say it Battery because it's Hungarian. So she's from Hungary. I'm going to apologise now for how I'm going to butcher these... Um, Hungarian names. These, these Hungarian <laughs> names, yeah, because these always sound like fascinating cases and then we start talking and I'm like, oh God, I have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> have you heard of Elizabeth Battery? I have not. No. Bathory. I've heard her called Bathory quite a lot, but I'm going to go with Battery. So, Elizabeth Battery was born on the 7th of August, 1560, on her family estate in Nierbator in Royal Hungary. So, she was the family of a, she came from a, a noble family. Her father was. Baron, Baron George VI, Battery of the Exed branch of the family, and her mother was a baroness and also the daughter of a voivode. Basically, they were from a kind of a noble, noble family, family in, okay. <laughs> in Hungary back in the 1560s. As a child, Elizabeth had multiple seizures um, that might have been caused by epilepsy. And at the time, symptoms relating to epilepsy were diagnosed as falling sickness. Okay. Um, and the treatments back in the 1500s included things like rubbing the blood of a non-sufferer on the lips of an epileptic or giving the epileptic a mix of non-sufferer's blood and a piece of skull as their episode ended. I have no idea where this piece of skull came from, whether it was from a, an alive person or a dead person. Those were the sorts of <laughs> medical interventions they had for epilepsy. I would imagine a piece of skull in, in the 1560s would definitely have come from a dead person. Yeah, probably, they probably couldn't get that out cleanely. No. Or they were dead afterwards. Difficult anyway. enough now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, why would you? Anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth was raised as a Calvinist Protestant. Um, and as a young woman, she learned Latin, German, Hungarian, obviously, and Greek. The family was incredibly privileged, and so she had a lot of wealth, she had great education, and she had a real prominent social rank. At the age of 13, before her first marriage, Elizabeth allegedly gave birth to a child. Okay. The child is said to have been fathered by a peasant boy from the town, and this child was supposedly given away to a local woman who was trusted by the family to kind of keep the secret. So the woman was paid and the child was taken to Valache. And there is evidence that's kind of come up to say to, to kind of verify this claim. But obviously it was quite a long time ago. In 1573, so not long after she had this child when she was um, 13, Elizabeth was engaged to Count Ferenc Nardesi. 
who was a member of the obviously of the Nardisi family. And it was really a political arrangement within those kind of circles of the aristocracy. He was the son of a baron and they were married in 1575 at the palace of Vranov nad Tuplu in Hungary. Um, And this meant that they had this massive combined piece of land now uh, in both Transylvania and also in the kingdom of Hungary. Ferenc's gift to Elizabeth was his household, the castle of Cheta, which was situated in the Little Carpathians together with the Cheta country house and 17 adjacent villages. It's quite a wedding present. 17 (laughs) villages. And how old Um, was she? She was 15 at this point. (laughs) But after the wedding, they didn't live in any of these places. They actually lived in Ferenc's castle in Saba because they had lots of castles at their disposal, which is lovely, isn't it? In 1578, three years into their marriage, Ferenc became the chief commander of the Hungarian army, leading them to war against the Ottomans. And Elizabeth managed their business affairs and the family's multiple estates during the war. And this included responsibility for a lot of the Hungarian and Slovak people who were kind of in those areas and provided medical care for them as well. She was charged with the defence of her husband's estates and the threat of attack was always significant. There were several instances where she intervened on behalf of destitute women, including a woman whose husband was captured by the Ottomans and a woman whose daughter was raped and impregnated. So she was kind of standing up for these people in this town. It's not entirely clear how many children she had, but we know that her first daughter in the marriage was born in... 1585 so when she was 25 anna okay and she had the other children that are known are orsolia uh who was born in 1590 Catalin, andras and pal who uh, so yeah there were kind of five that were known of and then potentially two that died in infancy Ferenc died on the 4th of January 1604 at the age of 48. Um, And although the exact nature of his illness wasn't known, it seemed to have started a lot earlier and kind of got progressively worse. They'd been married for 29 years at this point. Um, And before dying, he'd entrusted his heirs and and widow to Georgie Terzo, who was kind of a mayor of the town, basically. But in 1602... Well, sometime sometime between 1602 and 1604, and especially after her husband died, rumours of things that had been happening in Elizabeth's castle started to circulate. So Elizabeth was accused of a haunting litany of crimes against both female servants and minor noblewomen who'd come to her for training and education in things like courtly etiquette. She was kind of running a bit of a school. And their people from the village would send up their their children to kind of learn how to be proper women. The rumour said that some of her victims were covered with honey and left outside for insects to devour. um, While they were still alive. While they were still alive. During colder parts of the year, young women would be stripped naked and forced into ice baths, which would kill them. She would sometimes torture girls by driving needles into their fingers, cutting their noses or lips, or whipping them with stinging nettles. She would bite them, often on their shoulders or their breasts, as well as burning their flesh, including their genitals. The intimate nature of this suggests that there was some sort of sexual motivation. 
But really, it just seemed that she got a real thrill out of injuring and hurting these young girls. So so she was going out to sort of um, help these women get off the yeah. streets or give them a chance in life, yeah. getting them back into her castle castle and then and torturing. torturing them. And there was uh, and there was a very common rumor that was going around at the time saying that she would bathe in the blood of virgin victims that she took in an attempt to recapture her lost youth. So she'd kind of bring these girls up to the castle, torture them, murder them, and then bathe in their blood. And she had kind of pints of their blood stored around the castle for when she needed it. She is reputed to have killed at least 600 victims. What? Killed 600? Killed 600 victims, earning her a Guinness World Record for being the most prolific female murderer. Wow. And her actions resulted in the nickname of being the Blood Countess. Some witnesses said that they had relatives who they sent and they died. Other people reported having seen traces of torture on dead bodies, some of which were buried in graveyards and others which were just kind of dumped in unmarked locations. So, so what sort of um, time period did she carry out these tortures and murders? So... I think it was kind of over the time when her husband was away at war. A lot of things right, okay. started then at the time that he was away. And then especially after he died and she kind of had this castle to herself. On the 29th of December, 1610, Georgie Thurzo, who was looking after the family and who was also the kind of in charge of judicial matters in the area, he arrived at the castle to investigate the alleged crimes against the women who were of noble birth. Obviously, there were apparently mistreatments of servants and peasants, but they didn't care about that because they were servants and peasants. They were only interested (laughs) in the women of noble birth who might have kind of been involved in this. He reportedly surprised Elizabeth in the middle of torturing a victim and and in response immediately imprisoned her in her home. And her high status meant that she wouldn't be jailed as a criminal and she wouldn't go to trial. She would just be She was caught red-handed? Apparently, yes, (laughs) according to his account. Four of her servants, three females and one male, were then arrested, questioned, and they were subjected to torture. And the court proceedings began in early January 1611. So, you know, this is the 29th of December. Early January is only a couple of days after <laughs> afterwards. The servants denied their culpability in the murders, but they admitted to burying multiple victims and hiding evidence. So just going back on that then, they were arrested and then they were tortured. Yes, to get... By the authorities. By the authorities to kind of get stories out of them to find out. But obviously that was... uh, About the torture. About the torture, yeah. (laughs) But that was okay because they were doing it for legal reasons, right? (laughs) Not for Mm -hmm. for fun. What a time to be alive. (laughs) What a time. What a time. The servants said they weren't involved, but they said they had buried people. But the number that they gave kind of was between 36 and 51, which is quite different to the 600 that they reckoned that she killed (laughs) And in addition to kind of shifting the blame across each other and to the mistress, they also implicated a servant who died, who'd served as a maid and a governess. Um, Two of the women and the male servant were sentenced to death, which was very quickly carried out. And the fourth was spared immediate execution. We're not actually sure what happened to her. I um, think that it was probably not a good end for her. There was Mm. also another woman who supposedly had used magic to aid Elizabeth. She was also killed. 
obvious. Okay. Because she was a witch. After these executions, Georgie Thurzo continued Terzo. Oh, that's probably not how you say his name at all, but that's how I'm saying it. <laughs> um, he continued to investigate Elizabeth. And one witness stated that Elizabeth herself had kept strict notes about all of her victims. And she had listed 650 victims in the paper. And part of the evidence gathered by Georgie Thurzo also included 289 witness statements from people who said that their family members had been kind of taken and tortured and murdered, or they'd just gone off to the castle and never been seen again. Wow. As I said, she wasn't put on trial because she came from this powerful family. Instead, they kind of said, yep, you're guilty. And they isolated her and and put her in her house. Some reports said that she was kind of bricked up in a room, but other sources say that she could just like wander around the house as she liked on house arrest kind of like Oscar Pistorius really (laughs) she wrote a will and she kind of left everything to her children and apparently on the evening of the 20th of August she complained to her bodyguard that her hands were cold and she went to sleep and was found dead the next morning so she said that she yeah she was starting to feel cold and then she died what year was that that was 1610 so she'd have been 60 60 I think she's born, yeah. she's born in yeah. 1560, 1550. Yes. So not a bad age, really, in the 1600s. No. She was buried in the church of Jeta, where she had her castle. And on the 25th of November, she was buried. But according to some sources, her body was moved to where she was born, where it was kind of interred in another family crypt. Okay. Because they were worried that people would kind of come and desecrate the grave. Um, The location of her body today is unknown, but it's believed to be buried in deep in the church area of the castle at Jetcher. But there are no kind of markings of it. But the evidence against her does have its flaws. Of those 289 witness statements that Georgie Thurzo collected, more than 250 of them offered either hearsay or no information whatsoever. (laughs) Um, The testimony that she'd listed 650 victims was a second-hand accounting of what a court official had discovered. So, again, probably wouldn't stand up in a court today. The official who'd supposedly seen this information didn't testify. Many of the witnesses who spoke against her were kind of beholden to Thurzo um, or, you know, kind of held up by him to say, you know, this happened, didn't it? Um, ah, yeah. Because, you know... Coerced. He, yeah, that's the word I want. He was obviously in charge of her and the children and their estates, which is kind of what had been left behind from when her husband died. And the fact that her servants were tortured makes their confessions unreliable as well, because obviously you're going to kind of confess to something if you're being tortured to give that information. You're going to say, yeah, of course, that's what happened. And we know that false confessions happen all the time especially when they're kind of put into those situations. And yeah, the imprisonment meant that Georgie Thurzo and her her children and their families could take control of her possessions. The Habsburg court owed her money that they didn't want to pay to her. And she was supporting her nephew, which was a big kind of political thing against the Habsburgs at the time. So there's a lot of evidence to say that maybe she didn't do this. But yeah. it is unlikely that she was completely innocent. Innocent. 
1602, a priest wrote a letter that discussed the excessive cruelty exhibited by her and her husband towards their servants. And the testimony against her included true tales about how harshly she acted with lower classes. And, you know, that wasn't illegal at the time, but she was only punished because the victims that she had were said to be kind of noblewoman. But she was responsible for ruining several lives by her, you know, sadism, basically. And apparently that's kind of how she was just brought up. And, you know, that way that she was treated as a child and the way she was brought up with her family. She um, had some very kind of yeah sadist attitudes and that's what she exhibited. Right. As I tend to think about these things, there's, there's generally never smoke without fire. <laughs> so I think there must be yeah. some sort of truth to this. So, but there may not have been the 600 victims. There probably wasn't 600 victims. No. Even though she's in the Guinness Book of Records. Of... Even though she's in the Guinness Book of Records <laughs> for it. But I don't know how they could have verified that. No. But... That whole idea about her kind of bathing in her victim's blood wasn't really mentioned until 1729 when Mm -hmm. she'd been dead for, you know, a hundred years. And when they kind of looked at the witness accounts in 1817, when they found them, there were no references to bloodbaths at all in those kind of initial statements. But the idea is basically thought to be a kind of fictionalisation of oral history from the area. Embellished. Embellished. (laughs) But they do think that this kind of story around her bathing in this blood and being in that sort of area, obviously Transylvania, was part of the inspiration for Dracula and um, that kind of blood thing (laughs) and, you know, bathing in blood, drinking blood in Transylvania helps to kind of spark the idea of Dracula. Okay, so a um, bit of folklore, but possibly with a with a uh, substantially true person. Yes, a, a very um, real person. There's portraits of her. Person. There's evidence that she exists. Yeah. Concrete evidence that she existed, and that she did do some bad and things. She wasn't very nice. <laughs> you see, her, top and bottom of it. But maybe yeah. some of her exploits have been. As I say, embellished a bit. Potentially, but um, okay. not so much so that the Guinness Book of Records think, don't think that <laughs> she is the most prolific female murderer mm. of all time. So, yeah, that is the story of another noble Elizabeth who may or may not have killed 600 people. But certainly some. But certainly some. I think that there's definitely... Uh, it looks like she probably killed a, a few people. <laughs> but I don't know that it was 600. It sounds like whether or not she um, killed 600 people or not, that she did enjoy the sadistic side of things and the torturing. and and, uh... Yes, being deliberately Mm. nasty to people. And there does seem to be quite a lot of evidence that points to the fact that she got quite a lot of sadistic pleasure from hurting people. Wow. Oh, what a fascinating story. Thank you for that. There you go. You are welcome. I don't suppose there's much in the way of photographs associated with this one. There's a few, actually. You know, the, the castles. <laughs> there's pictures okay. of, of her. The portrait. There's, por- there's portraits yeah. of her. They they exist. Portraits of her husband and her. Um, so there, there are some pictures that I can share. And I think there's been some you know, things kind of mocked up 
to suggest what she might have done. <laughs> but Ooh, okay. uh, yes, there are some photos, some photos which I will share on our Instagram at Dad and Daughter Do Death on our Facebook page, Dad and Daughter Do Death. And you can get in touch with us about this case and any others, or to share your opinions on how crazy you think Dad was for standing for 12 hours in a queue. <laughs> uh, you can <laughs> or email us. if you've got us. any hints and tips on how to make microphones work on Zoom. Yeah, or if you've got yeah a, <laughs> a, a, a podcasting server that works, you can email us at... Dad and daughter do death at gmail.com. And, and like with all our stories, if that's whetted your appetite, yeah, have a look. Do you spell it B-A-T-H-O-R-Y? Have a look. <laughs> so next week we'll have another true crime from Europe or UK. Thank you very much for listening. Join us then. We're once again, Dad. And daughter, do death. Do death.